Acts chapter 11. And while you're finding your place, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask His blessings and services today. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you for those who are gathered out here, Lord, and for the ability that we have, Lord, to uh, gather together as Christians, Lord, and to be in your word and to be uh, studying it and, and discussing it and things, Lord. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the folks that are here, Lord, and their desire uh, to meet together, their desire to hear from your word. And we just pray, Lord, to ask you that you would uh, that you would bless, Lord, that you would guide, that you would instruct. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use me, Lord, as uh, as weak and, and unworthy as I am. I pray, Lord, that I can be a help to your people. And I just pray that you give me clarity of mind that I'll be able to expound on these truths, Lord. I pray that you be with those who are uh, still on their way out today, Lord, that you would just watch over them as they come in. I pray, Lord, you be with those who are uh, working and those who are unwell, Lord, as they're not able to come out. I just pray, Lord, you be with them as well. And Lord, do be with our time and our fellowship together this afternoon as we, we plan to get together for the barbecue and all. Pray for good weather and, Lord, good fellowship. Lord, we just pray, ask you that you'd help us as a church to be a light and a witness in this place that you've put us in. Lord, help us to truly be the body of Christ, exhibiting your uh, characteristics, Lord, the fruits of your spirit, Lord, in this uh, place where we live and we work and we play. Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've been looking through Acts and seeing the uh, the birth and the growth of the early church, and we've been seeing how the Lord has been working uh, in His people and through His people. And what we saw last week was that uh, the the church had really been uh, focusing on their immediate area. The Jews were keeping uh, Christianity to themselves in a way of speaking there. Uh, the Lord had told them to be witnesses of him uh, to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they were slow to expand on that. And a lot of times, even in our Christian lives, uh, sometimes God has to kind of push us along a little bit because we get complacent, we get in our comfort zones and whatnot. And so God has a way of working in our lives and guiding and directing us whenever we are living for him, when we're desiring to serve him. And so over and over in these, uh, these different instances that we've seen, uh, God is the one that's leading the charge. God's the one, through His Holy Spirit, is working uh, sometimes even in spite of His people. And so as the Jews were kind of concentrating the gospel there, and Christianity was at risk of being just another Jewish sect, uh, God says, nope, that's not my plans. And so he starts dealing with this man, Cornelius, uh, who had been seeking after him, had been desiring God. He had rejected the, the gods of the Romans and the pagan religion that surrounded him. And he said, there's something different about the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, I, I want to know more about this. And he starts seeking after the God of the Jews, and God honors his desire. He honors his heart. And he says, if you want to know me, I'm going to send someone to tell you about me. But the problem that arose was uh, Peter was still very Jewish. He was still very prejudiced, and he was still only going and only open to the Jews. Even though there were many Gentiles that lived within Jerusalem and within uh, the, the realms of uh, Judea, the Jews were still basically keeping it all to themselves. They weren't going out and trying to reach out to the Gentiles. 
And so God starts not only preparing Cornelius, but he starts preparing Peter for what he's got for him. He gives him this vision, and it just so happens, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because there's no coincidence with God, but it just so happens that God is giving Peter this vision right as Cornelius is sending servants to come and fetch Peter. And so as Peter is having this vision uh, of the sheep being let down from the heavens and all manner of animals and uh, four-footed beasts and all these different things on it, uh, the Lord tells him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter, being Peter, says, Not so, Lord, argues with the Lord. And we, we pick on Peter, but we're the exact same way. And uh, he says, Not so, Lord. And the Lord does this three times and tells him, What I have cleansed, call thou not common or unclean. And so the last time it's taken up into heaven, it's a picture of how God is taking up all of these people that the Jews would consider clean and unclean. He's putting them in one church, one body together, and they are all going to go up to him together, right? And this is a wild idea to the Jewish people. And Peter's sitting there pondering and saying, okay, Lord, I know that was from you. I know it wasn't just a dream. I know it wasn't just some sort of a fantasy I had. I know this was from you, but what on earth is it about? And then there's a knock at the door. And it is the ones that they considered common and unclean. And immediately he realizes. Even the angel bids him, or the, the, the messenger of the Lord bids him and says, uh, go with them, doubting nothing. I have sent them. And he says, this is what it was all about. God's plans are so much bigger than what I ever thought they were going to be. God's doing things that I don't understand. And so if God wants to extend this thing beyond Israel into the Gentiles, and then going into all of the lands of the earth, then that's his prerogative. Who am I to stop him? And so he goes, he preaches the gospel uh, to Cornelius and all those that he's amassed in his household, and they believe, and whenever they believe, God gives them the Holy Spirit, and he, he gives the sign of they speak in tongues and things, uh, not because that is what happens when you receive the Holy Spirit, but that it is a sign to the Jews saying, hey, see, Peter, those that you brought along with you, see, this is of me. This is something that I'm doing. And whenever they saw that the Gentiles had been saved and had received the Holy Spirit exactly like they had at the beginning, they said, who are we to uh, buck against it? Who are we to reject it or refuse it? And so they went and baptized them in, and now you have Gentiles within the church. And as we get into our passage today, apparently Peter has spent a little bit of time there amongst the Gentiles there in Caesarea. And maybe some of the ones that had went down with him uh, and witnessed all these things, maybe they left before him and got back before him. Maybe it was just the... the uh, the Jewish information network, because news traveled fast even before they had modern ways of communication, right? But whatever it was, Peter came back to Jerusalem, and as soon as he entered into town, they're going to start asking him about what he's been doing. And so that's where we're at today. So let's look in Acts chapter number 11, verse number 1. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, 
they that were of the circumcision, the Jews, contended with him, saying, Thou wentest unto men uncircumcised, and did eat with them. But Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, and I saw a vision, a certain vessel descend, as it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even unto me, upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, I considered, and I saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air." And I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. And this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. <clears throat> and behold, immediately there were three men already come unto, my, unto the house where I was, uh, sent from Caesarea to me. And the Spirit made me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning." Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they had heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And so as we look at this passage today, there is a bit of a strife that arises between the brethren. And there's been different ones that we've seen going through. We saw between the, the Grecians and the Jews, their widows were neglected and there was issues that arose. And we see each time that the believers are dealing with the problems whenever they come. They're not, they're not allowing them to uh, continue to fester under the, or under the surface but instead they are dealing with them and taking care of them as they come up because they are seeing here their need for one another, the, necessary, uh, the necessity of unity amongst the believers. They are careful about what's going on because they want to protect uh, the purity of the church. They want to uh, protect that fellowship as well. And so they've got a lot of different things going on in their hearts and in their minds as this is happening. But God is expanding them, he's stretching them, he's uh, leading them in different places, and sometimes there's going to be misunderstanding, sometimes there's going to be confusion. And before we get into uh, the, the struggle here, I guess we could say, this little bit of a misunderstanding between uh, Peter and the Jewish believers— First, we need to get a little bit of a background and see what's going on here, why this was such a big offense that Peter would go to the Gentiles and that he would eat with the Gentiles. And that goes all the way back to Moses and the law, right? And don't worry, I'm not going to do an Old Testament survey. <laughs> but it goes back to Moses and the law because Moses, or God had given Moses a many commandments. He'd given them a code by which to live, and within that, there were many different things that God gave them to cause them to be different 
to cause them to be separated from the pagan and heathen lands that surrounded them. One of those things was their dietary laws. And we looked at this a little bit last week. But their dietary laws would have uh, helped them to remain uh, separated and independent from the lands that were around them. Because the things that the pagans were doing, the things that they were eating, were things that the Jews couldn't eat. So then they weren't fellowshipping together. They weren't eating at the same table because, hey, they're eating pork. We can't eat pork. They're eating things sacrificed to false gods. We don't believe in their false gods, and we're not going to eat those things. They're doing these different things. We can't take part of it. And so we're not going to risk it by going in under their roof we see this played out in the, the book of Daniel whenever Daniel goes down to Babylon and he is taken into the king's house. He has no choice but to be at the king's table. Right. He can't say, I'm a Jew. Sorry, king. I, you're unclean. I'm not entering in under your roof. He didn't have that choice. He didn't have that option. But it says that he purposed himself, purposed within his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And so he came to the one that was put over him, put in charge of him, and said, my God does not allow me to eat these things, and so suffer me to just eat vegetables. Vegetables are clean. I can eat vegetables. So let me do without the, the meat and the wine and these things so I can maintain a clear conscience before God so that I can keep separated and holy unto him. And so he makes this decision. And so all through the Old Testament, we find this with the Jews, and it works effectively because the Jews and the Gentiles oftentimes are separated from each other. Even before the law came, and we said this last week, even before the law came, whenever they were in uh, Egypt, their beliefs uh, kept them separate from the Egyptians. They didn't mix together with the Egyptians. And after 400 years in Egypt, they were still a separate and peculiar people. But now, uh, even to this day, the Jews have maintained that separation from the Gentiles and from the rest of the world because of these things that God had given them all the way back in the time of Moses to keep them separate. Now, why am I going through all this? Well, whenever we come to Peter and to his story, Peter is going to Cornelius's house. Cornelius is a Gentile. And so for him to enter in under Cornelius's roof, by that time, it had become taboo. God didn't say, you can't do this. He says, don't eat these things. But the Jews had taken it a step further, and they said, we're not even going to have any uh, casual interactions with them. We're not going to develop any relationships with them. And they had developed this idea that they were superior to the Gentiles because of the standards which they kept. Okay? And God's original intention was for them to be separate for them to be holy so that they could be a light, right? right? The Jews were originally supposed to be a light in this world. They were to reveal the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the nations around them. And so they were to be following him and reaping the benefits of being his people so that the nations around them would get acquainted with their God and they would desire, just like Cornelius to worship their God. See, God didn't just choose out the Jews and said, okay, these are my favorite people. I love them and everybody else. Forget them. I just, I'll, I don't want anything to do with them. They can go to hell. 
That was never God's intention. He says, I need a light. I need a witness. I'm going to choose Abraham. I'm going to choose his descendants. And they are going to be a testimony of me in all of the world. We see this carried out again whenever uh, the children of Israel come into the promised land and they send out the spies. And remember, the spies go into Jericho. And whenever they come into Jericho, they find Rahab the harlot. And Rahab says, I have seen and heard the things that your God has done. And I understand that he is God and we're worshiping idols. And so please have mercy on me. And guess what? God has mercy on her. She is delivered whenever Jericho falls. She becomes part of the Jews and even gets uh, put right into the middle of Jesus' family tree. She ends up being a grandparent to, or great whatever grandparent, to David and eventually to Jesus. She would have been one of his ancestors. And she started out as a Gentile, but because of her seeing what God had done in the lives of the Jews, she says, I want to serve their God. Right. Okay? And so that was God's original intention for them, but is that the mantle that the Jews took upon themselves? It's not. And so they said, okay, these things are good, and the things that they are doing are bad, and so we are good, and they are bad, so we're going to be over here, they're going to be over there, we're going to be up here. They're going to be down there. We're going to have nothing to do with them. We're going to despise them. We're going to reject them. We're going to call them dogs, right? And we're going to carry on being God's favorite people. And so that's the way that it developed. And so whenever we come to Peter's time, they said, okay, the Gentiles are unclean. They're unholy. They're hated by God. They're rejected by God. Their ways are abominable. And so we're going to despise them and it kind of exists in our own little form of self-righteousness. And the reason I'm going through all of this is I believe that oftentimes we as Christians have repeated the same mistake as the Jews did. Because God wants us to be separate. He wants us to be unique. He wants us to be holy so that we can be a light. Because if we are just like all of those who surround us, if we take on the same sins as the world, then we're not going to be able to be a testimony. We're not going to be able to be a light. But neither are we going to be able to be a testimony and a light if we segregate and separate. The Lord talks about that a city that is on a hill cannot be hid. That our light is not to be placed under a bushel, under a basket, and hidden away. That a man doesn't light a candle and put it under his bed, but he puts it up on high for all to be seen. And so we are to be interacting, we are to be displayed, we are to be having an effect and being a light to the community around us. And what we have ended up have happening... Instead of seeing the world as sinners just like us that need a Savior just like us, rather than seeing them as a mission field, instead we see them as the enemy. And have you noticed that in Christianity? That you look at them and the things that you do or that they do and detest them? You start looking at some of the sins that's in the world, the corruption, the lies, the thievery, the adultery, the fornication, the homosexuality, the abortion, all these different sins of the world and say, like the Pharisee, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like one of these. Is that not what we've become? And that was never God's intention. But instead, we are to be a, a witness. We are to be a light in the world which we live in. And we can't do that by despising those that we are to minister unto. 
We can't do that by despising those that God sent us to be a light unto. And so if we see ourselves as being superior, as we see ourselves as being holy and righteous and separated and loved by God, which we should be, but as opposed to all of these sinners and wicked people out here and refuse to have any contact, refuse to have any interaction, refuse to show any love or kindness, refuse any of these things to these people, then we are going to be just like the Jews were, and we're going to segregate, we're going to separate, and we are not going to be a testimony to the world that we live in. Now, that doesn't mean that the Jews were supposed to cast off the things that God had given them, but instead they were to uh, to reach out to minister to this world and show them how good their God was, right? And so that's what we're to be doing as Christians today. And so this is the first thing that had to be broken down here is to realize that the Gentiles weren't the enemy. The world is not the enemy. It is the mission field. The world is not the enemy. They are the ones that need to hear what we have to tell. They need to know the God that we serve, and that's not going to happen if we ostracize them, if we see them as wicked, as unclean, and we despise them. You can look at different Christian organizations that go out and they march against this and march against that with hatred and vitriol. And once again, they're doing just like the Jews and they're saying they are unclean. We're going to have nothing to do with them because we're too pure and dignified and holy. Right? If we look at Jesus' life, we are the body of Christ, right? If we are the church, we are the body of Christ. Jesus' actual physical body, he's in heaven, seated at the right hand of God. And in his absence, we are his body. He is the head. We are carrying out his mission. We are doing what he did while he was on this earth. And what did he do whenever he was on this earth? Well, he was despised by the religious crowd because he ate with publicans and sinners. Mm -hmm. He went about doing good. He loved those who were rejected and outcast. Did he wallow in sin? No. no, he never sinned. We can remain pure, we can remain holy, while still ministering and loving those who need a Savior, right? And so as we see this passage here that we read, the Jews were mad at Peter because he went and ate with the Gentiles, right? They said, it's us versus them. And in doing so, it became them versus Peter. And now there is contention. You see that in verse number two? They contended with Peter. They're mad at Peter. They're upset with Peter. And so where I want to go from here is what about us as believers? What happens whenever we have disagreements one with another? What happens whenever we are uh, observing our fellow believers or even fellow churches, fellow congregations, and we are unsure about what they're doing in the direction that they're going, and we have concern for them, right? Because isn't this what happened in this passage? This group of believers at Jerusalem, they looked at Peter, and they said, he has left the reservation. He has went astray. He's doing things that we don't approve of, and we're upset about this. Have you ever been there and you start looking at other believers and you start questioning some of their activities, some of their actions, some of the things that they are doing, and you get upset about it? 
This is something that's very prevalent in the day and time that we live in. And I brought this out in the past. There are some uh, preachers and some pastors, their entire ministries are to criticize every other ministry that they come in contact with. Have you all seen that? And so they're going around and they're saying, okay, this one's not doing this right. And that one's not doing that right. And they're doing this different from us. And we don't approve of that. And is that the way that we are to be going about our Christian lives? Is that what God's desire is for us, for the church to be so uh, so comparative and so fractured? Now, I'm not talking about ecumenism. I'm not talking about everybody joins hands and sings kumbaya, no matter what kind of heresies they hold. That's not what I'm saying. But what we find here is that Peter was part of them. They had a connection with Peter. What I'm saying is it was part of their business, right? It was part of their business. They needed to know because he had influence amongst them. He had things that had connections with them. And if Peter did go astray, that it could potentially harm the cause of Christ. It could potentially lead other believers astray. And so they wanted to get to the bottom of this and see what was going on. Okay? And so whenever we look at this and we say, okay, there are other believers that don't believe like us or they're doing things different than us, first thing we need to ask ourselves, is it any of our business? Right? Is, is that too blunt? No, that's right. Is it any of our business? You know, the church down the road, they have nothing to do with... We, there's no connection between us. They're not misleading me, or but they're preaching the gospel. They're outreaching people. They're doing things differently than me. Oh, God bless them. I'll leave them alone. It's none of my business. They are God's business, right? right. And so we have to evaluate and say, okay, is this any of, is it any of my business? And let's talk about different churches and whatnot. Now, there are plenty of uh, internet personalities and uh, different guys and whatnot that are misleading many people that are teaching heresies and whatnot. And we do need to mark those who cause divisions. But are they causing divisions? Is that guy across the street that sees Scripture a little bit different, has a different interpretation of some minor things in Scripture? Is he my enemy? Is he leading people astray? Is he a threat to me? No, it's none of my business. Leave him alone. Right? What about between fellow believers? I look at Jacques' life, and there's some things in Jacques' life, and I don't know if I quite agree with. <laughs> Hypothetically, okay? <laughs> this is an example. There's not actually anything. But anyway, so... <laughs> we'll get to that part here in a minute. <laughs> but the first thing I need to, to check, is it any of my business? And one thing is, is it affecting me, right? I've got to... Also, evaluate my motive. These people here, as they're looking at Peter, they're the apostles, they're the leaders, they're some of the early church, and they're saying this could potentially cause great harm to the church and to the believers, and so we need to sort this out and get to the bottom of it. And this was their motive behind it. And so is my motive trying to get Jacques to do things my way? Is my motive, I'm just nosy and like to pry in everybody else's business? Or is my motive that I love Jacques and I love God's people and I want to make sure that there's health and that people's going the right way? There's a difference there, isn't there? And so a lot of the problems that occur in churches would, would really dry up if people mind their own business. If they mind their own motives and they would figure out why does this concern me so much? Have you seen people who get extremely concerned about things that are none of their business? 
And we need to monitor ourselves and say, is it any of my business? And so it needs to have an effect on us. It needs to be something that we're actually tied to, connected to, something that's actually going to affect those that we care about or love. And if we have no connection, if it's nothing that's going to bother, if it's none of our business, let it be none of our business and say, Lord, I'll leave it in your hands. They're your follower. They're your sheep. They're your flock. Whatever it is, God, I'm leaving it up to you to sort out. And so we have to make sure it's our business. We need to check our motives and say, well, why is it that this concerns me so much? And if our motives are pure, if we are truly concerned about the cause of Christ and the well-being of his believers, then we need to make sure that we're going about it the right way. And so as they bring Peter in here, they don't just jump on him and give him a severe thrashing and dress him down and send him on his way, but they give him a chance to answer for the things that they've heard. They hear him out. Bible says that if any brother be taken in a fault, then those who are spiritual restore them, right? So that's those who have a walk with God, a right relationship with God, right motives, are going and trying to figure out how do we work through this? Not how do we ostracize them and kick them to the curb? How do we restore them? How do we bring them back, right? right. It takes communication. Not only that, but it tells us that uh, if we uh, are in disagreement with our brother and stuff, go to them. Talk to them, Right? And so this is what they are doing, and they're actually a good example. We might, uh, we might kind of miss out on the lesson that it teaches us here if we just say, oh, they're prejudiced against the Gentiles, bad, bad Jews. But that's not the purpose behind this. This is not the, the lesson that we need to learn. But they are hearing out Peter. They are seeing what he has to say, and they're trying to figure out, how did you arrive at this decision? Why is it that you did this? It seems very un usual for you, Peter. Why did you go and eat with the Gentiles? And so he gives a he gives a chance to answer for himself. As they were looking at Peter and as they were considering him, we realized that Peter was a godly individual. Right. I mean, he was an apostle for heaven's sake, right? He was a godly individual. And so you start looking at uh, some of these people that maybe are doing things that you don't understand, maybe different. They see things differently than you do. Maybe there's certain doctrines I'm not talking about core doctrines as far as the death, burial, and resurrection, the sinlessness of Christ, the virgin birth. I'm not talking about that, but you know, maybe they see some things differently than you. And you look at them and you say, okay, they truly love God. They're seeking after him. They're desiring him, right? They're trying to follow him the best that they know how. They are going out and they are preaching a true gospel. They're trying to see people say they're concerned about the, the believers. They're concerned about the lost. And as I'm searching through Scripture, there is nothing that I can find that directly condemns what they're doing, so leave them alone and let them be, right? And so this is kind of what happens with Peter, and we like to nitpick. We like to go down and say, okay, I am thoroughly convinced of all these things, and all things are non-negotiables, right? I've heard that before whenever you talk about, uh, I'm I'm not going to quote that because I I don't remember it well enough. I'm going to misquote it. Uh, but anyway, just the idea that some things are not top-tier priorities, that there are some things that are non-negotiables in Christianity. Mm -hmm. There are some things that if they don't believe this, (coughs) then they are a false teacher, they are a heretic. Mm -hmm. And that would be if they say that Jesus was sinful, if they say that Mary was not a virgin, 
If they say that the word of God is not the word of God, it's not inspired, if they start saying there are errors in the word of God and it's untrustworthy, unreliable, these are folks that, hey, sorry, you have denied the faith. Right? You've denied the truth. If you start preaching that there is salvation by any other means besides faith in Christ alone, then I'm sorry, you, you've denied the faith. We can't walk together, okay? But if you have a different uh, idea on the end times, if you have a different idea about some of the minor things in Scripture, if you see things a little bit differently, even if you're a Calvinist, I don't care. Some of these things, at the end of the day, doesn't necessarily matter. And so they are secondary issues. But some people want to make everything a mainline, a top-tier issue. Yeah. And unless you see every single thing exactly like me, then we can't fellowship, we can't be friends, and you are an enemy. Yeah. And so we, we want to make sure that we're not making enemies of the people who are supposed to be on our same side. Right. There are many people who are going to see different things or see things differently, interpret some scriptures differently, that are going to live life a little bit differently, that's going to have different uh, preferences, different convictions than what I do, that are still uh, children of God, that are still believers, that are still part of the body of Christ. And it's not up to me to be the gatekeeper. It's not up to me to figure all this out because I'm not the head. He is. Right. Now, I will say that there is some choices that we make uh, about those that we're going to be working with, those that we're going to be uh, joining together in ministry with and those kind of things. Bible does say can two walk together except they be agreed. Unless they're going the same direction, unless they're on the same page, there's going to be confusion. Mm -hmm. And so we may not be able to join together in an outreach effort. We may not be able to have joint services. We may not be able to uh, have ministries together and things, but that's okay doesn't mean they're the enemy, right? right? And so there's these these choices that we make, but it comes back to what I was saying here. They, they heard out Peter, and they realized Peter is saved. He is a follower of God. He is attempting to serve God. He's got the marks of the Holy Spirit in his life. He's doing the best he can. He may be interpreting things differently. He may be doing some things differently. But he loves the Lord. He's doing his best to follow the Lord's leading. Uh, he's doing the Lord's work. And God's word bears witness of him that God approves of him. Mm -hmm. right? I'm not talking about uh, the results because there's plenty of people. It's like, oh, there's all of these guys that are following them. They have a huge church. So God's blessing them. They must be right. No, the devil can bless his children too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? But I'm saying whenever you look at Scripture and say, well, they have some different preferences. They have some different ideas, but I can't see anything scripturally wrong. So praise the Lord for them. Pray for God's blessings on them. Mm -hmm. And so just to put some examples to this, uh, what if they don't do church like we do? What if they sing different songs than we sing? What if they don't wear a suit and tie? What if they come up and preach in ripped jeans? I don't care. That's between them and the Father, right? These are preferences. We might have reasons. We may have good reasons behind some of the things that we do. And we need to be thoroughly convinced of those. We'll get to those in a minute. But does it mean that we are to divide and that we are to attack and that we are to be uh, so fixated on these things 
that we lose sight of what we're actually after? Because there are many different churches, many different groups out there that are still preaching the gospel, that are still in love with God and doing their best to serve Him and to follow Him. And it may look different from the way I'm following Him. Some of the choices they make may be different than... Some of the things that I have to do in my life are for me and for my family. And so I've brought some of these things into my life because I know this is good and this is right for my family, and they're going to have to do what's good and right for theirs. It may look different. But at the end of the day, do they believe the Word of God? Are they saved by grace through faith alone? Are they seeking to please God, to edify His people, to see the salvation of the lost? Right? And if that's what they're doing, then praise the Lord for them. Mind your own business and keep going, right? Yeah. Now, if we look at this a different way, what if the things that they are doing are contrary to the things of God? What if they are teaching heresy? What if they are going a way that's sinful and wicked? What if their motives are less than pure? One thing, be very careful when you're evaluating people's motives. Mm -hmm. You don't know the heart of any man. Okay? But it still comes back to the first question I said, is it our business? If it's someone that we're connected with, if there's someone that's affecting us and the ones that we love, then we're going to have to go about it in humility we're going to have to go about it in prayer. Right. And we're still going to have to uh, we're going to have to recognize that at the end of the day the Lord is the shepherd over those people. Right. It is up to God. We are not the ones that are out there to correct everyone. Right. And so as we come to the, the next step in this, we saw that it was Jew versus Gentile. It was the church versus Peter. And now we've got Peter versus the church. Okay? So we were talking about before, what about whenever we see someone else that we don't agree with? Well, what happens whenever others don't agree with us? It goes both ways, doesn't it? And most of us have probably been here where we've had our actions and our motives questioned. And so what happens whenever we're in Peter's position? That gets a little bit more interesting, doesn't it? What is our normal reaction whenever people begin to question us and our motives? Defensive. Defensive. Could you imagine if Peter would have came up here and said, don't you know who I am? I'm the apostle Peter. How dare you question me? You don't remember that the Lord gave me the keys to the kingdom? <laughs> right? I'm the one that proclaimed and said, uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And then they pipe up and they also say, yeah, you're also the one that said, get me, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Within like eight verses. Yeah. Okay. And there could have been a huge blow up. There could have been a lot of problems that came as a result of this. Right. But that's not what happened. There was a humility, wasn't there? Yes. There was a humility. He didn't get arrogant. He didn't get defensive. But instead, as he stood before them, he realized that they had a care, they had a concern for what was going on amongst the believers as they were going out from the Jews 
amongst the Gentiles. They had a care and concern about this. And Peter says, I am willing to submit myself. I'm willing to give an answer. I am willing to be accountable Mm -hmm. to others for the decisions that I've made and for the direction which I'm going. And that shows humility. If you will not be humble, if you will not be accountable, there is a problem in your heart. There's a problem between you and God. There's a problem in your walk. And so as we look at Christ, he is our example, and he was marked by humility. If the God of all creation come down in a human body can be humble and walk humbly on this earth, do we have anything to be proud or to be arrogant about? No, we don't. And so we see here that he wasn't arrogant and he wasn't defensive. But as we go down through here, Acts 11, as we go down through, it says, verse 4, he rehearsed the matter. He says, let me tell you the reasons why I did what I did. Let me tell you the reasons why I did what I did. Well, how does that apply to us? Whenever there are those who are critical of the actions that we're taking, the the decisions that we've made, how we're living our Christian life, the places we go, the standards, the convictions that we have, whenever those are being called into question in our lives, it is important that we know why we do what we do. It's important for us to know how we arrived at the decisions that we've made. We're not going through life flippantly. We're not just shooting from the hip. But instead, as children of God, the Bible says that we need to walk circumspectly. We need to be paying attention to what we're doing and where we're going and make decisions deliberately and arrive at them in a godly fashion. And whenever Peter says, you know, if you would have said something, you know, just a few weeks ago that I was going to be going to the the Gentiles, I was going to be eating with Cornelius, I would have said you were crazy. But God has led me in this. God has revealed, now this is before the scriptures was written, but the equivalent, God has revealed through his word what he wants me to do. He has guided me and directed me in this. And I was even resistant. I didn't just jump on the first thing that came along, but instead I was searching this out. I had to be fully convinced in my heart and my mind about this. And whenever God convinced me, it was only then that I was willing to go about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a wise principle for us as Christians, not to jump on every bandwagon that comes by, but to search the scriptures. Paul uh, commends the Berean believers because even at the teachings of Apostle Paul, they said, I want to see it in scripture first. If anyone ever tries to get you to jump on their latest bandwagon or get you to follow their belief systems, you need to say, I want to see it in the Word of God. Right. Show it to me in Scripture. Right. But it, I'm not saying do it arrogantly. Yeah. Do it humbly. Because whenever we're open up to it and say, okay, this is what I've always thought, this is what I've always believed, but show me and evaluate the Scriptures. Pray about it. Seek out God's will and be fully convinced in your heart and your mind of the place where you stand. And so as Peter stood before these guys, he did it humbly. He was accountable. He was ready to give an answer to them. He wasn't defensive, but he did have a defense. And he said, this is why I did this. This is how God has led me on this path. 
This is the way that I've prayed about it, that God's revealed to me, that he has shown me this, and I am fully convinced that I am in the will of God in this matter. And this is what he tells them. And if you are dealing with godly individuals whenever they are questioning the things that you have done, and you go through and you tell them this, and you have biblical reasons, you have evidence of God's leading, if they are humble as well, and not arrogant, not prideful, then they are going to accept this. We see this happening here in verse number 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also given the Gentile or also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They heard Peter's response. They heard the way that he arrived at this position, and they said, we see that God's led you here. We can't argue against it. We can't say anything about it. We're going to accept it. That took humility on their part as well. And so as we realize, there is a great diversity amongst believers. A great diversity. We would like, you know, if Christianity, well, maybe I shouldn't say it. Maybe not everyone's like that. But oftentimes we would like if everyone saw things the same way. If everyone was just like us. Why? Because generally we are fully convinced. You, all, you should be fully convinced, right? Yeah. But it takes humility to realize you may be wrong on some things. Yeah, exactly. There may be some things that are non-negotiable in your life, but they're not non-negotiable according to the Word of God. Right. There may be some places where there are room for differences between people, between personalities, between cultures, different things. Because at the end of the day, he's God, I'm not. Right. At the end of the day, it's his church, not mine. Mm-hmm. I'm just a sheep. <laughs> I'm just one of his flock, right? Right. And so it takes a little bit of humility to realize there's going to be difference. I mean, look at all of creation. As great of a diversity as God has through his creation, is there not also going to be diversity amongst the believers? Some of it might be through sin. Some of it may be through corruption. But here's the thing. We need to have grace with one another. We need to be humble in our walk with God. We need to mind our own business and make sure that the things that we are dealing with are our business, that they are our concern. We need to be giving a little bit of latitude, a little bit of room to others. We need to be willing to say, if that one doesn't concern me, then that's between them and God. Right. And let them do whatever they're doing, and they can be accountable, they can answer to God. Right. right? And we need to make sure that as we are serving the Lord, that we aren't finding enemies in people that aren't our enemies. Right. Exactly. This world is not our enemy. It's our mission field. Yeah. Fellow believers are not our enemy. And whenever people see things differently, do things differently, that don't violate Scripture, then there's no reason, no place for us to try to put extra biblical rules and principles and all these things up on them. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not God. And so there needs to be charity between one another. There needs to be humility in our lives. 
whenever someone differs from us, we need to handle it with grace. When someone has a issue with us, we need to handle it with humility. And we need to all realize that as believers, we are on the same team. We are in the same body. We are working toward the same goal. Even when we don't see everything eye to eye. And there's going to be a big difference in there. And if we look at Peter's situation here, because they handled this properly, they all grew as a result. They realized this, this Jerusalem church realized we missed something. We misunderstood something. We wanted to keep this confined to just the Jews. We tried to make this just another sect of Judaism, but God had bigger plans. He had bigger ideas. And because of this, because we heard Peter out, because we, we acknowledge that maybe we were wrong. Heaven forbid we admit we're wrong. Right? And so we see great things happening as a result of this. And I think there's great lessons for us to learn all the way around on this. Yeah. There is differences. It requires humility. Pride destroys. What would have happened if Peter would have came in and would have been defensive and would have been angry? We don't know, right? That's one of those what ifs. It wouldn't have been good. There would have been division. There would have been... I mean, an implosion within the church because it was Peter. Yeah, exactly. What would have happened if they didn't hear him out? And they said, no, salvation is of the Jews only. And Peter, you're a heretic. You go out and eat with your Gentile friends. We'll have no part of you anymore. Mm -hmm. What would have happened? That had been a mess as well. Yeah. But because they had a Christ-like spirit on both sides, they worked through this, heard it out, worked their way through it, and God was glorified. Right. The gospel went forth. And we're standing here today as Gentiles. or sitting. <laughs> as Gentiles because of what God was doing through his people. So with that being said, does anyone have any, any questions, any comments, anything to add this morning? <clears throat> Nothing at all? Any complaints, any arguments, I'll take anything. You can be contentious. Use you for an illustration. No. Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll have a short break, and we'll jump back in. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we do thank you for this passage in Scripture. I know how how needful it is. Is uh, Satan is so good at turning our attention against each other, making enemies out of one another whenever uh, really he's our true enemy. And Lord, I just pray that we would uh, seek to be humble, seek to be uh, understanding, submissive to you, and allow you and allow your word, allow your spirit to be the guide. And Lord, we just ask your blessings on the services today. Ask you, Lord, that you would be with each person here, Lord, and meet their needs as you see fit. And we thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.